This is Mike Levitt, a co-founder of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to the Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. The ACLC is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating industry readiness for success in value. With its competency-based framework for health value, the ACLC is working with healthcare organizations all over the country to create the workforce of tomorrow. Come join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to value listeners, this week, we're going to be talking about patient relationship management and healthcare. Patient engagement is of paramount importance in value-based care and arguably has more of an impact on improving population health than SDOH because a disengaged patient will not have a meaningful relationship with their physician. In this episode, we're going to explore how provider-patient relationships can be enabled by technology. I mean, healthcare organizations that are striving to improve patient engagement are increasingly turning to solutions that promise more targeted patient outreach, more coordinated care management, and more potential for patient self-support in between care episodes. And these solutions fall under a broad umbrella that can be described as patient relationship management or PRM. And despite its name, it's much more than a rebranding of customer relationship management for healthcare. It's just so much more. Right, Eric, as you said, it's not just a CRM for healthcare. It focuses on patients' needs outside of the healthcare facility setting, in between care episodes as they live their everyday lives. It's more than improving engagement at the hospital bedside as well, and more than making phone calls after hospital discharge, and more than launching a portal of portals to ultimately provide a unified engagement experience. This is a modality for engagement that can support value-based payment models by bridging the gap between the care setting and the patient's home. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Anil Jain, Chief Innovation Officer for Innovacer, and Alex Lennox-Miller, Senior Analyst with Chillmark Research, to discuss patient relationship management solutions in healthcare and how we can unlock the digital front door in this race to value. Let's go ahead and hear from Dr. Anil Jain and Alex Lennox-Miller as they join us this week in the race to value. Dr. Anil Jain and Alex Lennox-Miller, it is so great to have both of you this week on the Race to Value to discuss patient relationship management solutions and value-based care. It's a great privilege to be with you today. It's great to be here. Yeah, very excited for the conversation. Well, I am as well, and I thought we would start our conversation today by discussing PRM and how it can support value-based payment. The functionalities of PRM include patient outreach, care management, engagement, patient self-support, and analysis reporting. And as payer and provider business models and technology strategies continue to converge under value-based care payment models, PRM will shift from task managed solely by provider organizations to more of a collaborative effort that includes providers, payers, third parties working on their behalf and so forth. Can you explain how all of this comes together with the relationship management platform and why this is such an essential healthcare tool for organizations and value-based care? What are organizations without dedicated patient engagement modules missing out on? Eric, that's a wonderful question. And and this is uh, Dr. Jane. I think one of the most important things that we can think about is what does it look like today? Well, today, patients are often getting messages from their payer telling them that they're overdue for some 
services from their provider that they might be overdue for their mammogram. And then in some cases, even from the radiology practice down the street or from the radiology that might be affiliated with a hospital. And so they're being inundated with so-called personalized messages that may be conflicting, redundant, and in some cases may even be inaccurate because of the lag that different groups of people have. So when we start thinking about patient relationship management, and when you start to work with a common set of data, you can start to have a much more coordinated, much more unified way of thinking about what's happening with an individual patient who might be a patient of a doc, but a member of a plan, and, and start thinking through where is the communication going to be most effectively received? And based on the particular individual patient, how are they both most likely going to want to receive it? And from an omni-channel point of view. So I think the current state of affairs is sort of everyone does whatever they like. And the future is when there's a unified platform that is bringing together a variety of different data from exogenous sources that might help identify what is going to motivate that patient. And then having a, a single way of reaching out to them that all the different stakeholders are going to feel comfortable being able to, to participate in. So that's at a high level where I think the future PRM and all the different components are, are going to look very different than what it does today. And we can get into some of the details around the different components that you mentioned, but just think about your own personal journey as a patient or as a, a loved one's uh, journey when they seek care. And, and you can see that it is nowhere near where consumers would like it to be. And, and that is simply uh, a function of the silos of data. And if we can bring that together and start to really think about what motivates a consumer, we, we can have a much better experience. I think Dr. Jane really did a, a great job summing that up, but the, this is Alex, by the way. Just on a more purely monetary level, I do think it's important to keep in mind that while we're used to thinking of preventative care and patient outreach and PRM as being predominantly something that belongs in the VBC field because of its impacts on long-term outcomes and, and long-term cost of care. We're seeing the emergence of reimbursable events that make this really important, even for a purely fee-for-service setting. Remote patient monitoring, patient check-ins, quick conversations are billable events now. And an organization that isn't taking advantage of that and, and isn't really leaning into that is doing themselves a disservice. It, it has a, an impact on patient outcomes that, that we can talk about later. But you know, when you talk about what are they missing out on regardless of their reimbursement model, this has really significant impacts in all kinds of settings. I completely agree with Alex. And just to you know, hit the point, in addition to the, the financial aspects, which I completely agree with, we do know that more engaged patients actually have better outcomes and, and are more likely to seek the services that are recommended. So not just the, on the financial aspects of it, but on the quality metrics that uh, they may be on the hook for in a value-based arrangement or even in a fee-for-service arrangement, hitting those quality metrics are, are much more likely when you have an engaged population of, of patients. And sort of the PRM mindset and the journey uh, is, is going to more likely give you those kinds of results. It has a meaningful impact on patients, but you know we also can't forget about the impact on the staff and the providers who are involved. The tasks that a good PRM platform can do are tasks that nurses and front desk staff are doing now. They're just doing them manually. They're adding them on top of all the other workflow, all the other burden that they have in their day-to-day -day work. And the ability of a good platform to relieve some of that, to let them spend less time on those tasks and more time on face-to-face -face patient care, on you know, the really important, meaningful work that they have to do every day, that makes a huge difference for staff satisfaction, for provider satisfaction, to help reduce burnout. There are a lot of I don't want to call them incidental, but this impacts every level of a practice or, or a provider organization. Completely agree. I think it's really important that those care managers and the variety of staff that are doing those outreaches today, which often are being done in the absence of very actionable clinical information in a robust PRM solution that is infused with clinical data, that if they're going to have three touch points in the next hour with patients, which three patients should they be reaching out to and how and for what purpose? 
think having that ability for the PRM solution to, to help that team perform at the top of their license is going to be critical to, to Alex's point. And there's a, enough burden in the existing system. We, we certainly don't want to be contributing to it. Well, I want to jump in here and build off of what you said about the clinical data, Dr. Chain. You know, most engagement solutions for health systems today are built around a sales-focused kind of customer relationship management model that doesn't necessarily include the patient's clinical record. And when you include the clinical record, it seems like you really open the door for an array of benefits that include things like enhanced communication, improved health literacy, even shared decision-making, and a more active participation in care. In this emerging era of value-based care, you know these are critical things as you think about why healthcare needs a new view of a PRM. And so my question is, what is the significance or could you expand on the significance of understanding and addressing the full context of a patient in today's relationship management platforms? I think you've really hit on a key aspect of what you said there at the end, which is that it's the full context of a patient. And what that means is that really there isn't a single record that needs to be examined now we've really moved away from the reality of a, of a single patient record that contains every touch point, every piece of information, every piece of what treatment they're receiving, what communications they've gotten. Patients are simply receiving care from too many sources now. They're getting it from their payer. Some of them are getting it through their employer. Some of them are engaging with consumer wellness apps or consumer tools that they've researched and, and gotten for themselves. They're getting it from devices. They're getting it from all kinds of places. And a lot of those simply don't talk to each other. That means that if you're looking for the full context of a patient and you're only looking at one set of records, you don't have that full context. I think Alex is absolutely right. It is beyond just the clinical data, but let's let's go back to the clinical data for a moment. Um, and your point about how traditional CRM, CRM-like types of solutions really focus on a sales marketing type of mentality, which is not necessarily a, a, a bad thing. Healthcare can learn a lot from other industries, for sure. But I think what the patient-centric data or the clinical data can do for us is it can start to help us stratify the folks, our panels into different groups that are more likely going to resonate with different types of engagements. And let's just take something as common as uh, congestive heart failure. Many patients may have congestive heart failure and may require different levels of engagement depending on what, how severe their congestive heart failure may be. Some patients may be fairly stable and, and be quite comfortable having a virtual visit, you know, over Zoom, for example, to talk to their clinicians about how they might be adjusting their medications, checking their weights, blood pressure, and things of that sort. Whereas the clinical data can tell us whether someone might actually be a better candidate for a in-person visit because we notice from the clinical data that they haven't been weighed recently, that their blood work is not optimal, and so on. So the clinical data can help hone in on what kind of engagement might be best and help us sort of create um, some stratifications around risk. Uh, but, but to Alex's point, that data also needs to be coupled with non-clinical data. We need to start thinking of the consumer and the engagement with the consumer as what is going to help motivate their behavior. And that sometimes requires data from exogenous sources like, for example, data from Experian that might help us understand what financial aspects of about a, about a patient might or education aspects about a patient might help us tailor the right type of, of engagement. But the clinical data for a clinician like myself is a key way to start bringing in adoption by the clinical staff who might say, well, you know, one size doesn't fit all. But if you can start to help them understand that we're going to take the clinical scenario into account when we do these engagements, then we can start really thinking about what, it, what the difference between CRM is versus just PRM. I think the other key difference between those two sort of modes are the kinds of outcomes that they're trying to drive. When we look at more CRM-focused solutions, what we see is that largely the output that they're trying to create is a patient encounter. They're trying to bring patients into the office, sometimes, you know, now set up a, some kind of virtual visit or a phone call. And as Dr. Jane was saying, depending on the patient, depending on their needs, depending on the full context of that patient, 
that may not be what the best outcome of an interaction is. They might just need a piece of education. They might benefit from some kind of, of interactive exercise or some kind of lower tier of engagement than directly bringing them in to see a, a, a doctor. And when you have a product which is focused on creating encounters or billable moments, that's not necessarily the right outcome for a patient. And it's not necessarily the right outcome for your organization if there are other more clinically needed encounters that can fill that same time slot. Well, I wanted to discuss more about the limitations of these legacy CRM solutions. You know, according to the Government Accountability Office, only 15% of hospital patients and about 30% of medical practice patients are even able to access their health records electronically. And numbers are lower, obviously, in rural areas with a high population of senior patients or with 50 or fewer group practice members. And uh, patients don't really seem to use these uh, first-generation portals because as legacy systems, they predate the emergence of smartphone applications or broad acceptance of user-centered design principles, and they suffer clearly in functionality from these limitations. So I wanted to ask you both, just what could be some of the challenges that provider organizations relying on these legacy CRMs, what are they facing in terms of having an absence of a more holistic patient engagement solution? And what were some of the failures that we saw with some of these traditional CRM solutions during the COVID-19 pandemic? I think when you start thinking about what are some of the challenges, one has to think about you know the impact of the Cures Act. So the Cures Act that was recently, when I say recent, I mean in the last uh, you know, five, 10 years that really promoted the ability for patients to be able to get their own medical information for many portals. And, and the large vendors uh, would probably agree to this statement. It was essentially a checkbox. Do we make patients' data available uh, on the portal? Can we download it as a CCPA and, or a PDF? And, and then the question always that was asked was, well, what do we do with this information. And, and so I think one of the challenges immediately is, is that if it's simply a regulatory checkbox, you're not going to have the constituents, the stakeholders, the consumers get the full value from that particular piece of technology. It's just, it's going to be a PDF that perhaps someone can, can show it to another provider, but it's not necessarily going to add the same kind of value that one would have if you started to have native APIs that were really exposing and allowing the ingestion of rich clinical data into these different systems. So one of the first things would be, you know, how do we go above and beyond the checkbox requirement that we're making data available to our consumers? I don't find the data that you mentioned or the statistics very surprising because if you've tried to navigate within the, the large patient portals, just to even bring out your own files, um, uh, it, it's a bit challenging. And so uh, not surprising at all. Where the CRM vendors, I think, have, I won't say failed, because everyone who is in the space and iterating through the space uh, deserves some credit for pushing the envelope. But I think they're very squeamish, if you will, or nervous about their ability to consume and then make the clinical data accessible in a way that patients will get some value from it. And it's not surprising. It's patient data is complicated. It's difficult to interpret. Oftentimes you're missing the context. And so when we start thinking about presenting patients clinical data, there is a certain amount of hesitation. I often like to think that the clinical data is best used on the back end to create models that are much more easily consumable by the patients and, and by those who, who might be taking care of those patients in order to, to do the variety of different things that PRM and, and CRM have tried to do. Why it kind of failed during COVID or why some experiments didn't go well during COVID, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there were the ground was shifting in a big way during COVID. The, the traditional venues of care, the traditional outreaches, even access was challenged in many ways. And new modalities of care like virtual care and telehealth, telemedicine, I think required folks to be thinking a little bit differently about how to relate to 
the future patient or to relate to a current patient or consumer. And I think in many ways, we have had a, a very rich set of experiments about the fact that virtual care is not going to destroy relationships and that access for clinicians to offload some of the health and wellness into lower levels of care, whether it's retail clinics or virtual care, isn't going to be the end of a, a practice and so on, I think is, is an important set of lessons learned. But I think the other important lesson that was learned was a platform is critical. A platform with rich APIs is critical so that folks can start to build a story around a modular approach to relationship management with their patients and their future patients. It's not about a single solution. It's about building out a set of capabilities. And I think some of the larger CRM deployments glossed over that particular point. It's so funny because patient experience and patient engagement has been a conversation in healthcare for years. It's been a, a central pillar of the, of the triple aim. And yet it seems like those questions of UI design, UX design, is this easy to use? Is this straightforward to access? have really fallen by the wayside until the last couple of years. One of the big obstacles I think that vendors find when they look at their portal or the kinds of patient-facing technology that they offer is just that a lot of it doesn't offer a whole lot of value to the patient. What we've learned in over the course of COVID has been that patients were really not happy with a lot of what they were being offered. And it was glossed over when they were able to get in touch with their provider, access care more or less when they needed it within certain extremely broad criteria. And as soon as that wasn't available, patients started to realize that what was available to them really wasn't good enough. Patients wanted to have access to somebody who could answer their questions. They wanted to have access to something that could really give them meaningful information and help them with their healthcare. And most patient portals, as Dr. Jane said, were just designed to, to check that box that the patient record was available, that patients could access test results technically. The ability to really provide more value to patients, whether it's through education, whether it's through activities, whether it's through some kind of symptom checker or triage that, that's going to help them when they're not well. Those are the things that, that patients really respond well to. And having access to those things gives them more faith and trust in the provider organization that they're interacting with. It's the kind of thing that really helps build those relationships and maintain those relationships. One of the biggest struggles that provider organizations have had in the last six to 12 months has been, how do we bring patients back? How do we start engaging with them again after a year where they were struggling to get anybody on the phone? They were struggling to, to get any kind of question answered. When you just have a traditional CRM that isn't offering a whole lot more than that is basically just a really simple, straightforward kind of patient tool, it's a real struggle. When you have a tool that, as Dr. Jane said, is a little bit smarter, is more of a platform, understands more of what kinds of messages patients respond to, has data within it about what they actually need, that gives you the opportunity to give much more tailored communication, to do much more specific, detailed outreach to patients that they're going to respond to. That's incredibly helpful when you're trying to either maintain or rebuild that patient relationship. The other failure, getting back to the question of access to data, has been in the vaccination drives. People are trying to get vaccinated anywhere they can get an appointment. That may not be at their provider location. Their provider may not know the data may not be in their system yet. They may be then getting redundant information, be getting told things by their provider about coming in that aren't accurate. The ability to really bring in broad sets of data and the ability to really bring in external data 
into what your CRM is looking at and what your PRM is telling you about patients has been one of the biggest issues in the COVID era. And, and I think it's one of the biggest challenges that, that products need to be able to solve now. Yeah, I think Alex raised a really good point. I want to go back to something he said around trust. I, I do believe that patients are being inundated by a variety of information sources. And if in the PRM journey of a health system, they're not able to provide clear, consistent information about a variety of things that impact their community and even the individual patients themselves, then they're going to go seek medical information from less authoritative sources. That's going to present a problem for the health system downstream. But one of the challenges that I've seen during the COVID time was the health systems themselves in presenting information weren't even internally consistent. So in many ways, their CRM approach, their portal approach was divorced from their clinical operations. And I think that's the other lesson learned during COVID times is there needs to be a much tighter integration between the way that communications go out to patients, whether they're mass campaigns or individual communications and the way that their medical operations and clinical operations runs. And I think that's a lesson around really making sure that if we want to give patients the best information, it should be internally consistent across the health system, and it should be externally as valid as we might be able to provide with authoritative um, sources to, to, to go back to Alex's point of building that trust. But, but that was eye-opening for many organizations that realized that there was a bit of a chasm between their, their patient outreach, marketing, if you will, and their uh, clinical operations. I want to build on where you guys have gone with this conversation, talking about the, the fragmented nature of care delivery, you know, all these modalities for care where patients can, can receive care in different places and from different providers and, and the siloing of data that that creates in this expensive plethora of uncoordinated, unlinked, economically segregated, operationally limited microsystems. They're all performing in, in ways that are kind of self-serving or they were at least start built in that manner to start and have led to suboptimal performance. And it seems that if we're to integrate data, as you're talking about across clinical, SDOH, financial, consumer, psychographic, behavioral, and these engagement databases, we'd have so much more of a holistic patient approach to these patient relationships and, and definitely provide patients with the information that they're seeking that would be of value to them. Can you describe the potential of PRMs to revitalize patient engagement in support of more consumer-centric models of care with more optimal data integration? And how, how will that influence or enhance patient outcomes in real life? The biggest thing that it can do when it comes to really making a noticeable difference for patients is take into account that when you're doing this kind of stratification or patient grouping, you're still looking at individual patients and their specific circumstances are going to be potentially very different. Everybody with diabetes, everybody with CHF, everybody with COPD, everybody with a behavioral health condition is coming at it from a, an immensely complex personal state. And the ability of a PR, the more a PRM can integrate that and address it, the better. One of the biggest obstacles that we've seen, for example, in vaccination drives, and this, this has been true about flu vaccines, you know, going back years, is that a lot of information that patients get about potential locations or vaccine centers doesn't necessarily take, in their, take into account their ability to get there. If you're just looking at purely geographic data and you're giving them information about something within five miles of their house, that doesn't help a whole lot if it's not on a bus line and they don't have a car. It doesn't help a whole lot if you're giving them information about diet and food options that aren't available or accessible to them. On the other hand, if you have a PRM that has taken in that breadth of data, that has given you that broader patient context and can tell patients, here are some dietary recommendations, here's where you can get 
this food. Here are some programs that can help you. Here are travel options that can help you get to where you can get this vaccine. All of a sudden, you've taken patients from a point where you're giving them information, but it's not actionable, to where you're actually producing really significant changes in the outcomes of their care. To me, that's the biggest opportunity of this kind of data integration, is, is really being able to not just tell patients something, but to really produce action and produce a real shift in what patients know about and are actually doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think Alex has summarized it really well. I think the smarter care would be much more enabled if there's a bigger picture, a, a better picture of what motivates that individual and non-clinical factors about that. Just a simple example of offering an urgent visit near the place of employment rather than the place of home if it's at three in the afternoon and people are at work. A system that is collating not just locations and hours and other metadata around the services that are being provided in the community, but then having algorithms that will optimize the right connection to those services to the right patient profile are key. I think it really is around the idea that we as an industry shouldn't be competing on the data about these services. You know, we should create open APIs to allow any, any community service to make their services available within a platform, within you know, using common APIs to make those services available. And what companies and what industry should do is compete on being able to create better algorithms to tie the right resources to the right patients. Because having a platform, a PRM platform, without that data set or that database of those resources with the hours and with the availability for certain different types of of, of services at the local gym, for example, or at the local Y. With, without that, it, it's just a dumb box. And so we need that data. How are we gonna get that data is we have to have open APIs and then we have to create those algorithms that tie the right patient to the right service at the right place at the right time. And that, that is critical for PRM to actually accomplish what you described in your, in your setup, Daniel, because otherwise without that, it is going to make some recommendations that are, are going to be uh, perhaps a little wacky. Well, as we think about the criticality of data integration and having open APIs and leveraging algorithms, you know, I know a lot of our listeners out there, they're doing that right now in terms of trying to leverage their claims and clinical data and all the hard to obtain data around behavioral and psychosocial and biometric data and risk stratifying their population and then going out and executing on the appropriate care interventions. And I know PRM solutions have a role to play in that. I mean, especially in patient engagement and improving population health outcomes for those interventions. And I wanted to see if you both could provide for our listeners like an estimated financial impact of allowing patient segmentation, journey-based outreach, and an omni-channel contact center to support clinically contextualized care management with the use of PRM. Does this holistic approach to network performance in terms of patient throughput, value generation, readmissions being reduced and other metrics, how does that play into the performance of some of these risk-bearing entities and value-based uh, payment contracts? Can you elaborate on some of these metrics and how they're actually driving better clinical and financial outcomes? I mean, the, the actual dollar value is hard to get to, but when we look at the effects of, for example, improved trust and an improved relationship between a patient and their provider, what we see is roughly a 50% a, a decrease in 30-day readmission rates, roughly a two-third decrease in, in ED return, almost a 10% increase in their care compliance metrics, you know, how well are they sticking to care plans? How long are they sticking to their medication regimens? Those are pretty impressive outcomes and they're pretty broad. When you look at the potential impacts of better communication, more trust, better outreach, you know, we're not talking about small amounts of money. We're talking about potentially millions of dollars per year. And I would just add to what Alex has shared that, you know, there, there are compelling reasons for both in a fee-for-service and in a value-based care world why 
true patient engagement with clinical context in a sort of omni-channel strategy where patients can get directed to retail clinics if their local primary care doctor's visit is not the most effective place to get care, how that can actually help improve even visit rates for annual wellness visits and, and physicals and things of that sort, uh, as well as, as really thinking through the risk adjustment that a, a lot of risk and reimbursement strategies are based on, helping bring patients back in for getting the diagnoses all fully uh, captured, as well as getting the right treatments for patients, um, as Alex mentioned, you know, improving the quality scores. But the other side of the improving the quality score is bringing the patient back in for a colonoscopy or a mammogram and so on. So whereas the direct dollar amount may not be that important, we know that true patient engagement has a profound impact on some of the metrics that organizations are already tracking to see whether they're performing well or not under a contract. And the, the icing on the cake is as it gets harder and harder, um, especially in a post-COVID world of keeping that patient loyal, the patient loyalty and the keepage that occurs from having them engaged, uh, I think we can't underestimate the, the future value of that over the years as well. Yeah, the, the other thing that we see, which is pretty interesting, is that improvements in communication and improvements in outreach, especially when you have a, a CRM or a PRM capable of automating some of that, is a relatively low lift compared to other initiatives an organization can take. When you look at the effects of improvements in communication-related ex patient experience versus improvements in uh, provider-related activities or, or things that are more difficult, more expensive, communication-focused improvements correspond to not just higher level of improvement, but they're also cheaper. A 1% improvement in communication-focused experience brings you uh, about a 5% decrease in readmission rates. A 1% improvement in provider-related experience is only a 3% decrease. So these are not just easier to do, not just cheaper, they're also more effective assuming that the quality of care is already there. I want to build on what you've been talking about and knowing that they're cheaper and easier and that they're leading to better results. I want to explore how they can also support patient education and health literacy. We know that suboptimal health literacy is an independent risk factor for poor health outcomes, including increased risk of hospitalization. And patients with poor health literacy might have misconceptions about their disease and ineffective communication with their health professionals, which can lead to unnecessary interventions, under-treatment or over-treatment or poor adherence to their treatment plans. And in light of current patient engagement experiences, what could be the effects of communication, education, and outreach tailored to specific patient circumstances regarding health literacy and care plan adherence? Does this holistic approach towards PRM and patient education prove to be especially helpful for certain population segments, such as chronically ill patients or the ones high at risk? Yeah, I think we know from a variety of different literature that activating patients to be engaged, a lot of it depends on targeting information at the right level. And so having uh, a PRM platform that understands the patient, what I mean by understands the patient, has the metadata around the patient's social uh, demographics, uh, all the different determinants, for example, looking at, the, at their education level, uh, their income level, and then tailoring patient education that is not just from a education level, but also personalized for that particular individual situation so that we don't educate them around dietary counseling by suggesting that they go to their local neighborhood supermarket and, and buy all sorts of fresh vegetables when there, there could be lots of social uh, barriers that might be in play there. I think it stands to reason that we would, through a robust PRM platform that knows the patient, be able to deliver much more tailored patient education to them. In addition, we could do smaller micro engagements periodically 
depending on the PRM platform. So that instead of having some of the traditional ways of engagement where the primary care provider quote orders a education module for a patient to be done before their next visit, we could think about have, having multiple touch points at the right level with the individual with reinforcement along the way, I think it stands to reason that that would improve health literacy. I don't know of any specific studies around the PRM concept, but uh, it stands to reason from the patient engagement literature that it would make sense. You really can't overstate the effect of trust and good communication and the effect that they have not just on are patients satisfied, do patients like you, but on patient willingness to adhere to care plans, uh, on patient willingness to pay attention to what you're set, what you're sending them, and what they're reading, to their willingness, uh, you know, as we move into more of a virtual care-driven world, to use apps or use tools or technology that you're giving them. The single biggest impacting factor on whether or not a patient will continue to use an app is whether or not a provider that they trust recommended it. One of the biggest factors on whether or not patients will not just read educational material, but actually demonstrate literacy and and improvements in their understanding is whether or not they trust the provider who sent it to them. Those are factors that are directly impacted by whether or not the communication that they're getting is applicable to them, whether or not they think that they are getting care that is being given by people who understand them, who understand their circumstances, who are taking those circumstances into account, who are paying attention, who who know them, who care. All of those are impacted almost as much by the style of communication, by the type of communication, by the accuracy of the communication, as it is by who the doctor is and whether or not they like that doctor. This is a full experience. This is something that takes, you know, that's impacted by every step of that patient's journey, not just when they are directly in your office talking to somebody. And so the impact of the PRM on all of those factors, and then in turn on their health outcomes, really can't be overstated. The other thing I want to talk about is who are they especially helpful for? One of the most interesting things about PRMs, and especially about who benefits from the most, is that they're not just good at communication with patients who are already high risk. One of the most impactful areas of these tools is in preventing the transition of patients from low or medium risk categories into high risk categories. And that is one of the biggest potential savers for an organization. That's what prevents them from suddenly starting to utilize a lot of services to to be at the ED a lot, to need to come into the office a lot. If you can keep patients in those lower tiers of risk, you've saved hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And these tools, if you're using them well, can do a fantastic job at preventing patients from moving from a low-risk category into something much more severe. I think Alex made a good point if you're using them well. And I think it's important to understand that these tools by themselves, without having under the hood some incredibly good behavioral science aspects to leveraging the the clinical plus the non-clinical data to really understand what motivates behavior change in the patient's isn't going to do what what Alex just said. So it's really important to think about PRM from a platform point of view as being modular enough that we can bring in the right types of behavioral science tools for the right conditions. What might motivate a patient to do everything that they need to do for their diabetic management so they, they they stay out of the hospital for a low blood sugar reaction or a high blood sugar situation 
might be very different than what we might do with a chronically ill patient who has heart failure and or uh, kidney disease, and might be also very different than that patient who's doing fairly well, but we want to prevent them from having their first situation where they might need to see a, a doc. So I think it's important to think through what are the behavioral science aspects of these different uh, capabilities that a PRM platform brings and making sure that we not do a one-size-fits-all. We really do need to think through the, the variety of different conditions that people may be suffering from and then having the right approach for each one of them. Because I don't think there's a single answer for all of it. Yeah, that's a great point. I wanted to expound on this aspect of uh, chronic illness with patients, the application of the PRM and how that can have an impact that cascades throughout the care continuum. I mean, we've talked a great deal um, today about the importance of patients becoming actively engaged in their health. I mean, it's going to improve health outcomes, costs, um, and improves the patient experience. And there's certainly a growing body of evidence to, to show that activated patients do demonstrate uh, better outcomes. But I, I want to think about the totality of the patient's journey throughout the entire care continuum. I mean, for these patients that have chronic disease like diabetes or CHF or COPD, they're going to be seeing upwards of maybe 10 or more specialists. And there's obviously this fragmentation that takes place. There's challenges with health literacy. There's obviously the lack of coordination and uh, some of the, the issues that we have with being able to just navigate that, that journey. And I wanted to understand how can patient communication and engagement on health outcomes with a PRM really impact the longitudinal aspects of caring for a patient with a chronic disease? And how does a holistic PRM approach uh, apply here in terms of getting better outcomes and with, with patient engagement? Well, I think there's a couple things to think about. First, in the absence of a organizational approach to PRM, many of these chronically ill patients can pick from a ridiculous number, hundreds of thousands of digital health apps out there on the avail available for them to download to their smartphones. And they're all doing a variety of different things differently with you know, various levels of evidence behind them. So having a organization who is thinking through the PRM approach and asking the questions that they need to ask to get the outcomes from their chronically ill patients goes back to Alex's point earlier that if they believe that the organization is rightfully concerned about them, that they are generally going to be more engaged. And, and there's plenty of evidence that patients who, who complete uh, outcomes instruments to measure their, their functional status and their disease severity uh, generally do better with their condition. Perhaps it's because their providers, they know much more quickly that their patients may be deteriorating. But in some cases, just simply measuring the disease severity and the functional status can engage a patient and activate them to be more mindful of, of their health. Because again, they know that their provider and their provider organization cares. But I, I do think that there's a broader point, which is that it's not like the health system is the only one who is, is going to be influencing the patients with these chronic conditions. There's a whole host of different groups out there. So if the health system wants to have a mind share of promoting what they believe are best practices and helping that patient engage with what is in their best interest within that health system, they have to have an ability to put that, put that out there. And perhaps in a much more granular way, a more personalized way than, and then some of the other approaches might be doing. They're gonna be getting inundated with disease management and chronic disease management types of programs from a whole host of folks. And, and I think having the health system have a holistic PRM approach that is, is able to measure how they're doing and then be able to engage them when the early signals arise that they may be deteriorating is hopefully going to lead to those better outcomes that we talked about earlier. The point about the breadth of care that some of these patients receive, the number of specialists that they engage with, potentially the no amount of communication and outreach that they might be receiving it's really overwhelming and I think demonstrates one of the biggest strengths of the holistic data integrated PRM model, which is that it can help reduce some of that overwhelming amount of incoming 
communication and data to the patient because it can hopefully take into account what other specialists are doing, what other providers are doing, what other apps are doing, and not really bombard patients who are polychronic with new information, additional information, additional communication. It really has immensely negative impacts on their ability to, first of all, pay attention to the right things, but also to pay attention to the condition as a whole and make sure that they are aware of and and thinking about it, not just feeling completely overwhelmed and incapable of dealing with it. When you can make sure that the information that they're receiving is targeted, is specific, that they're not just getting bombarded with stuff, all of a sudden their ability and interest in engaging with it and getting value from it goes up. And unfortunately, in the current really fragmented model, patients really do just get overwhelmed. They don't necessarily know what they should read, what they should pay attention to, even if it's all coming from trustworthy providers, even if it's not information that's potentially inaccurate or deceptive, it's still not necessarily information that they're paying attention to if there's just too much of it. You really have to think about what else is the patient getting? What else is the patient being told? And that's where the strength of the PRM as a platform really shows itself. Alex, I completely agree with you, but I think it's also important to recognize that the only way that the PRM platform, and this is a key part of implementing a PRM platform, is going to solve the problem that you just described. And I think it's a really big problem is if the other caregivers in that particular patient's journey are also informed and engaged along with their PCP, for example, in in this PRM journey. Otherwise, I don't see how that patient is going to be able to communicate effectively to all their other physicians if the platform itself is not tickling the, the other caregivers, letting them know that a message was sent informing them that they need to come in for X, Y, and Z. The fragmentation of the health system is only going to be solved by PRM if it's more than just a platform implementation, but it's a governance process. It's a communication opportunity to engage the specialists with the primary care doctors. But there is a lot coming at these patients that the PRM itself may not necessarily solve, but hopefully a well-deployed PRM with communicating between the specialists and the primary care doctors, touching the different points of the community as much as we can, could drown out some of the noise from other sources. And and perhaps the patient can then ignore the other noise and focus on that PRM, where today everything seems like it's all equal. But I think it's important to to remember that the PRM is always just going to be one source of, of information. We just want hopefully to have it drown out all the others and make sure that that PRM platform is communicating not only with the primary care doctors, but also all the caregivers in that particular patient's journey. That's a really excellent point and really can't be said too many times that a technology platform, no matter how impressive, no matter how well-designed it is, is never going to solve the problem by itself. What you hope for is that the technology platform is enabling the right solution as the organization deploys it and utilizes it. One of the most interesting things about the difference between this style of PRM platform and the old school CRMs that we've also talked about is that by and large, the CRMs that we've seen are mostly just automating what a practice or an organization has always done. And that has value and and potentially saves time and, and saves money, but it doesn't really require the kind of fundamental thought process and change that a really well executed PRM can bring about. When you are thinking about what you're trying to get out of deploying a platform or a piece of technology, finding the right technology to enable that and deploying it as part of an overall 
organizational strategy, that's when you really get the kinds of impressive, meaningful results and changes, not just in terms of how numbers change, but in terms of the kinds of care that patients are getting and how they react to it. It's not just a question of picking something that's, that's going to do the same things you've always done, at, but do them faster. We really have the opportunity with these platforms to really change how communication is conducted, how providers get information about their patients, how patients get information about their care, how they engage with it. And that's one of the most exciting things about seeing this technology really start to enter the mainstream. Gentlemen, I, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciated all the insights of this great conversation. And as we wrap up today, I want to build on what the last thing you said, Alex, which is, you know, the PRM market is still relatively nascent, but we know there are many tailwinds to promote wider use in the coming years, and especially as value-based care becomes more mainstream. You've got factors like private payer interest in new payment models, broader economic drivers like competition, mergers and acquisitions, uh, provider payer and employer convergence, EHR integration, interoperability, and even telehealth offerings, which we've mentioned, all of these pretend scalability in the adoption of PRM solutions. I'd like you to both share your thoughts about what expectations should C-suite executives have in healthcare organizations for their PRM solutions in 2021 and beyond. I think healthcare executives should think of the PRM solution as a step and perhaps a big step towards their digital transformation journey as they start thinking about their strategy overall for how they're going to create digital front door types of concepts. I know that's a little overused, but really thinking through the at-risk contracts as well as the fee-for-service, thinking about what's in common, thinking through the silos of data that they have and using the PRM journey to start to tie in primary care with specialty care, to tie in community services with their hospital operations and their practices, um, to use PRM to really think through what do their patients need in order to, for them to be better equipped information-wise, and how do they serve the resources of that health system to their patients and meet them where they need to meet them, whether it's telehealth, a retail clinic, urgent care somewhere. How do they use PRM to really reimagine what the digital experience that a patient might have, and then step into it as they start thinking about that journey, not to do, do it overnight, but to start thinking of it as a very distinct aspect from their current patient portal and, and really thinking through bringing the clinical teams and the marketing teams and the operations teams together and really using it as an opportunity to, to reimagine, but not spending so much time that they don't get started. And with a platform, the nice thing is you can get started small and then scale up as you get more and more mature in your in your PRM journey, which to me is a broader part of your digital transformation journey for a health system. I think Dr. Jane really summed it up nicely. Just to get into the nitty gritty, you know, a couple of what should these leadership teams really be, you know, looking for? Well, first of all, is the number of data sources that your PRM intakes from and, and outputs to increasing? You can't just stay static and have the same data sources year after year. Ideally, it should be increasing. You, the, the partnerships, the, the data availability, the API integrations should result in more data coming in, giving you more information about your patients. Second of all, is the reporting structure or the reports and the dashboards that your solution gives you, not just reporting on general metrics, but giving you really granular information about the effectiveness of different types of messaging, about how they correlate potentially to care outcomes within the, the patient groups that are receiving them. Are you able to really get good information about how well it's working and where it's making a difference? And finally, is it driving not just the number of messages, but are patients reading them? What is the effectiveness 
Are, is it driving patients to engage more with the apps and the tools that you're giving them? Is it increasing patient health literacy and the, the level of understanding that patients have? Are they taking advantage of the resources that you're making available to them? Because fundamentally, you can send out all the emails you want. People may be opening them, but if it's not making a, a real difference in what they do, then it's not producing a change in the quality of their health. Well, Dr. Jane, Alex, thank you again so much for joining us this week. I mean, I think our listeners are really going to benefit from your thought leadership and as they look to um, enter into this new year and beyond and really think about how they can optimize their IT infrastructure and their population health models and, of course, optimize fee-for-service revenue streams where applicable through PRM solutions. Uh, this has been a very impactful conversation, and I'm excited to share this with our, our viewers and our listeners. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks very much. Really, really enjoyed the whole talk.